I think that there are a lot of similarities and market patterns between 2008 and the current time period. Greetings, land of Arcadia Economics. My name is Dave Kranzler of investmentresearchdynamics.com. I also publish the Mining Stock Journal and Short Seller Journals. And welcome to another episode of my bi-weekly podcast for Arcadia Economics. Before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Silver Viper, as always. Silver Viper is advancing its La Virginia project in Sonora, Mexico, which I know Mexico has been getting knocked lately for jurisdictional risks. Sonora is actually one of the most friendly, mining-friendly jurisdictions in the country. You can find it under the tickers VIPRF and VIPR.V, the OTC Bolton Board and Toronto Venture Exchange, respectively. Now, it currently has a market cap of about 14 million, which I know the juniors have been getting, especially the junior exploration variety, have been getting hammered lately. I do think they're bottoming. We can go into that in a minute. Um, but one thing I did want to point out that I think is interesting, insiders own 23% of the stock, major shareholders own 57%, and there's a couple um, actually big investors that I consider to know, that to know they know what they're doing when it comes to investing in mining stocks. And retail owns just 20%. I'm one of the 20%, but... The reason why I think that's important is because assuming we get another big bull move in the precious metal sector, and, and I'll get to that in a second, I think we are. Um, the stock's currently trading at $0.07 cents US dollars, and I think in, an, in, a, in the next run that we get, I mean, this stock could easily quadruple, quintuple. Part of it is just because it's silver and retail loves silver, but also the fact that only... 20% of the shareholder base is retail suggests to me that it's under owned by retail. Typically retail owns 50, 60, 70% of a lot of these micro cap juniors. And so I, I think there's potential for a lot of retail money, especially the, the speculative variety um, to flood into this stock. So moving on, what I wanted to talk about today is does 2023 rhyme with 2008? And I know I've said that on this podcast. I've mentioned it several times in my newsletters, but I think that there are a lot of similarities and market patterns between 2008 and the current time period. And I just wanted to talk about a couple of those. Um, and I... As with 2008, I am expecting some kind of credit event to, to appear. Credit event, black swan. I don't even know if it's a black swan. I think if you look for the information, it's pretty well telegraphed. Um, but I think one's percolating. And I think that the regional bank crisis that we had in the spring is an, an omen of that. I think it's a, a, a symptom of bigger underlying problems. And I think it's a good possibility that, you know, 
we could see everything come to a head and the markets implode this this fall. Um, as an aside, it is kind of strange that most of the major stock market crashes have occurred either in September or October. Now, I'm not really sure why. I, you know, maybe maybe people are get drunk on life in the summer and they don't look. They they ignore the signs. Certainly, there's a lot of speculative money still piling into the crappiest of crap tech stocks, like Carvana. So, but that that's a, an aside. I digress. So. One of the things that I'm looking at in terms of the potential for for a credit event, a very adverse credit event um, to unfold is that bankruptcies are starting to really rise in the, in, in corporate corporate loans. Um, and according to this report from Bloomberg, August was the busiest month for bankrupt bankruptcies on record. Um, and what stood out to me, there's a bigger article associated with this, but I, I subscribe to Bloomberg News, but not their their legal journal or whatever the heck they call it. Um, but 237.6 billion in corporate bonds, dollar denominated in the US, traded distressed yields. That probably means that most of that, most of the companies that are attached to that paper um, will be filing bankruptcy you know, in sometime in the future, maybe the near future. I just wanted to show this because you can see that the, the big spike up in the number of bankruptcy filings is, well, this is the four week moving average, but um, we're back to where we were in May of, or March, I guess the spring of 2020. Um, that was kind of uh, artificially induced bankruptcies, although I think they probably would have happened anyway. And we're almost back to where we were at the peak in 2008, 2009. And I actually think, as I've, I think I've mentioned before on here, I think what's coming at us is going to be much larger in magnitude than 2008. Moving on, um, the point I wanted to make here is that we're hearing a lot of propaganda, especially in the mainstream media, that the economy is robust, it's doing well. Um, there was an article yesterday that kind of irked me in the Washington Post, and it was talking about um, the US spending deficit, the government spending deficit is exploding higher despite what it wants to call a robust economy. Um, this this kind of bothered me because for, I'm not sure what economic data they're looking at. They could be looking at the employment report. Certainly, with un the unemployment rate below 4%, one might assume that the economy is doing well. Well, if you dissect the unemployment report, you find out that a large portion of those jobs that are created um, actually magically appear out of thin air from, from the nefarious birth-death model. Or they're, they're, the majority of them are also part-time jobs, um, not full-time jobs. And it, a lot of the job part-time jobs that are filled are being filled by people who are working two or three jobs to make ends meet. So the, the level of employment and the, how they calculate the unemployment rate now it's rigged is a conversation for another day. Go to shadowstats.com if you're interested to see um, 
how the government does it. But um, the level of employment in the country is is not growing. The level of employment in terms of the amount of people actually working versus not working um, that are part of the working age population, which I think is it's either 17 or 18 to 62, I believe. But anyway, um, that that report from the Washington Post irked me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm questioning how or why the Washington Post is describing the economy as robust, because robust means vibrant, full of life, growing. Um, and that's just not the case. Um, the St. Louis Fed is now project projecting negative GDP for the third quarter. We had up until last quarter, maybe the last two quarters, we had two quarters in a row of negative GDP. That's supposed to be the definition of a recession. Well, I, I think we're in a recession and have been in a recession, especially in many sectors of the economy. Um, manufacturing, uh, factory orders report just yesterday showed that on a year-over-year -year basis, factory orders are down 0.7%. So that's contraction. That's a major segment of the economy. And that number um, includes, it's a nominal number, it's nominal dollars is how they report the value of the factory orders. So if you strip out inflation, real factory orders, unit orders are gonna be down even more. So, and as the Washington Post points out, usually the spending deficit declines um, when you have a robust economy. Well, that is evidence alone that the economy is not robust. We've got um, increasing spending deficit is projected to double to two, two trillion um, by the end of the fiscal year, which ends this month for the government. And tax receipts are, are declining. Now, if the economy was growing and was robust, tax receipts would actually be going higher. They're not, they're declining. So, so much for that. Now, the reason I bring this up is that, again, I think the current period that we're in is very similar to how 2008 unfolded. And it's not going to be exactly like it. I mean, that's silly to think that. But there's some market patterns, particularly in the way gold is trading and the way the stock market is trading, that are, again, they're not repeat they're not repetitive with 2008 but they're similar and so i wanted to just take a look at a couple charts here this is gold on a weekly basis from 2001 to present in the past i've discussed the massive cup and handle formation here and i just wanted to again and this may be a bit of a stretch and you know charts can only take you so far in trying to figure out what's going to happen next but I cut and paste a copy of late 2007 to mid 2009, and kind of I wanted to kind of put it next to what the current trading pattern in gold looks like, and you can see it's similar. And again, it's it's not an analog chart; it's not on the same timeline, but it's it's just a, it's a similar chart formation. And from here, at, from from mid mid 2009. We had a big rally here. We had a big move higher that lasted close to three years. And I think we're probably on the cusp of that again. And one of the 
one of the things that I wanted to look at is that back in that period, say just 2008 to 2009, the S&P 500 and gold were tracking pretty closely as, as the economy got worse, as, as um, the great financial crisis came to a head. And they were both pushed down throughout the summer and into the early fall. And out of nowhere, and again, the, the, the Fed announced that it was going to start printing money. And gold gold took off. It dislocated positively from, from the stock market. The stock market kept going down until March, mid-March 2009. Uh, and part of that is because it, it takes a while for printed money when the Fed prints money or creates reserves, you know, whatever you want to say. There's nitpickers out there that they're not printing money, they're creating reserves. Well, technically that's correct, but that's how that's how money gets transmitted into the financial markets and into the real economy. So in a sense, the credit creation enables the 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 fake creation of money because credit spends credit is the same thing as spending money until you have to pay it back. Well, guess what? We never seem to want to pay it back in this country. At any rate, um, so this this is what I think is probably going to it's going to look like this time, somewhat similar. Um, there's some you know some of the characteristics like right now, and part of the reason why I thought about this is a handful of my subscribers have emailed me over the last couple of weeks, and they're they're really getting bummed out and agitated about the the performance in the mining stocks and especially the junior exploration variety and um so i started looking you know if you look at it what they're doing right now and the reason why the stocks aren't performing well is gold's getting pushed lower silver's getting pushed lower and that's what happened right ahead of the the blow up of lehman it took the blow up of lehman for that to happen the blow up of bear stearns wash mutual wachovia etc didn't it didn't get gold ignited but it should have but that's because it was being artificially pushed lower and i think that's what we're seeing now and most of the most of the decline price decline that we've been seeing over the course of the summer when gold has declined and silver has occurred after the asian and eastern hemisphere physical gold trading markets close and london the paper markets in london and new york take control so at some point i think that they're gonna they're not gonna be able to push it down any longer and unless the fed is is has a motivated reason or i should say the powers that be it's not just the fed unless the powers that be have some motivated reason for why they want to let the system fall apart and collapse the fed's gonna have to at some point announce a big money printing program credit creation program at some point. And I don't know when that's going to come. No one does. I don't even know if the Fed does yet, or maybe they do. This all, this all could be planned. There's another chart I wanted to put up. Gold versus the S&P 500. And this goes from the beginning of 2020 to present. I, what I wanted to just show here is that similar to um, both markets tracking pretty closely in 2008, in terms of their directional movement, the same thing has been happening from the beginning of 2022 to now. And a big part of that is, is both of these markets are ebbing and flowing on the idea that the Fed's going to pivot, that easy money's going to come back. 
Um, and at some point, maybe it will. But the fact that, you know, the market like moves like this on every breath of Powell or every breath of um, breathed by, you know, regional Fed bank presidents who come out and, and, and say that, you know, maybe we can pause at the next meeting or whatever. Um, I mean, some people agonize over every word and punctuation mark. And it's it's just utterly ridiculous. But anyway, at some point, it's not going to matter for gold because the market's going to see what's going on. And at some point, there's going to be a flood into gold, silver, mining stocks. And um, I think we may be getting close to that. Again, no one knows anyone who's, who says they know how to figure that out. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? Um, they're, they're, they're kidding themselves or they're just outright lying for some reason. But I will say there are some indicators. And the last chart I wanted to show was the bullish miners, the gold miners bullish percentage index. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with this. Um, it's... It can be accurate. It, it's it's a good contrarian indicator. Um, it's it's based on some formulation of point and figure charts, but essentially it it shows periods of time when the market's technically oversold or undersold. Currently, the market's pretty the, the miners are pretty technically oversold. And the reason why I wanted to show this chart is it it it's at a level now where we've seen it where we've seen the precious metal sector take off in the past. And some of the rallies in the past have been big, big rallies that sustained for several months. And some of them were kind of, you know, short-lived. So for instance, here, here's what the, this indicator looked like toward the end of 2015. And the, the sector bottomed in December that year, it actually went sideways for a few months and then took off at the end of December, early January and rallied for the next seven and a half months. And the ones where I circle in green is where we had, you know, somewhat sustainable rally. The, the yellow circles are where the miners were oversold and the rallies were more short lived and, and not as, not as strong. So that that's what happened at the end of 2016. Uh, the market started selling off in August, precious metal sector started selling off in August that year. And it, it had kind of a technical bounce at the end of the year and into early 2017. But here's 2020. We know everyone knows what happened then. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if you don't remember what happened. It may start happening again for all we know. It's what they're trying to do. But anyway, that was that rally wasn't as good as the one in 2016, but it, it was sharp and it lasted five months. And then we had a, a bounce at the end of 2022. You see the market's oversold. We're oversold again. And I don't know what kind of bounce is coming. I think we're, a bounce is coming. I don't know what black swan might show up to make it happen. I don't know if anything will show up to make it happen. Maybe all the markets are going to keep going south for, from here on out. I don't know. But just to circle back again, I, I think unless the Fed plans, the powers that be plan on have something planned that's going to be really, really unpleasant and they don't care about keeping the system from falling apart. I, I think 
maybe this fall, certainly within the next six to 12 months, our system's going to fall apart. There's going to be a credit event. Um, the precious metal sector may not be done going lower. Uh, but on the other hand, I think now is as good a time as any, if you're underexposed or not exposed, to start building positions, start taking positions and get ready for it. Um, I, there's a lot of analogies that I'm not fond of. Um, and one of them is with regard to, to why buy gold and or why buy gold now. And the, the answer is, well, you can't buy insurance once your house is on fire. And, you know, it's it's a trite analogy, but I think it's also appropriate. So one last thing I wanted to mention is my next issue of the Mining Stock Journal will be released after the stock market closes. And I've got updates on several of the, the mining stocks that I cover. And I think there's some pretty good ideas. There's a few that are particularly cheap. One just had some news out today. And this stock, I think, has over the next two or three years, the potential to be a seven or eight bagger minimally. So with that, until next time, don't spend too much time in front of the computer watching your mining stocks and the price of gold and silver all day long. I don't know how long it's going to be before things get ugly, but go out and enjoy the, the end of summer weather and always enjoy what you can while you can for as long as you can. Until next time.